This is the Your Kick-Ass Life Podcast, episode 19. This is the Your Kick-Ass Life Podcast with Andrea Owen, a no BS guide to self-help and badassery. Because ladies, let's face it, life's too short for it to not kick ass. And here's your host, the girl who serves it up straight with a side of crazy, Andrea Owen. Hey, ass kickers. Welcome to another episode of the Your Kick-Ass Life podcast. We are here on episode 19 already, and I am thrilled because I have a guest this time. I'm not alone today, thank goodness. I am joined by the lovely Nicole Antoinette of A Life Less Bullshit. And when I uh, when I heard of her, I can't, again, and I've, I've said this to Nicole like a hundred times, like I can't believe we didn't know each other sooner. I, I found out who you were through a mutual friend of ours, Molly Mayhar, and I was like, I have to know her right now. And I went to her website, gobbled up everything I could about her, and sent her an email immediately and said, please be my friend. <laughs> <laughs> And thank God she said yes and didn't say you're weird. Go away. And thank you for being here, Nicole. Thank you so much. Yeah, thank you so much. I felt the same way as soon as I got your email. I was like, what? Who are you that you're not in my world already? Yes, let's <laughs> friend immediately. <laughs> and so here we are making up for lost time and um, on my podcast. And why don't we start? Can you just introduce introduce yourself to my audience and tell them who you are? What's your story? What's your astrological sign? All the necessary things we need to know about you. <laughs> Right. How much time do you have? Um, <laughs> we'll spend 45 minutes doing that. <laughs> right. I'm Nicole. I'm in Gemini. I like long walks on the beach. No, I, <laughs> right. This has become an online dating podcast. Um, no, I, uh, I run, uh, lifelessbullshit.com, um, where I help people eliminate the bullshit in their lives, uh, you know, through a two-step process that I love where first you change your story, you know, the story that you tell about yourself to yourself and then changing your daily habits. And, you know, I, I got started doing this really organically, um, you know, built a business without knowing that I was building a business essentially, uh, you know, and everything that I, that I talk about on the site, it's, it's all changes that, you know, I've been through personally going from, you know, where I was, what is that now about three or so years ago, drunk all the time, not doing any exercise, really unhealthy, not really doing anything that I wanted to do with my life to Did you say kind wait, of, wait, wait, wait. Did you say drunk all the time? Drunk all the time. Yeah. <laughs> all the time. You were my girl. <laughs> uh, yeah, yeah. I just you know, I was living a really unhealthy life at, kind of in, in in every way and just kind of felt like I was I was floating and started making some changes, you know, one after the other that you know, obviously I'm happy to talk about. And that kind of led me to, to where I am right now. The realization of, you know, before you can change your life, you have to change your story. You know, you have to change what, what you tell yourself is true and, and possible. And that's, that's the first step. And that's, you know, really what I love working with people to do. Awesome. Awesome. So yeah, again, she's at a left, a life less bullshit.com. And let's, let's start out, you know, you, you were talking about changing your life and, as we know, where it's December now and January is coming up, and January is when all the gyms get really crowded, and and, all <laughs> and everyone hires personal trainers and, and makes these goals that this year is going to be it, and this year is the year that they're going to change their life and start working out, and and um, and so you you like to talk about the myth of motivation. So can you tell us more about that? 
Yeah, absolutely. Um, it's totally the perfect time of year for that too. But, you know, I think that, you know, exercise and, and fitness related stuff in general is a really kind of good breeding ground to talk about motivation. I think it's applicable in a lot of other ways as well. But, you know, one of the biggest problems I think is that we talk about motivation the way we talk about our car keys, for example, you know, I've lost it. I can't find it. I can't get out of the house without it. You know, we make it this, this really powerful thing, um, you know, that, that controls us. Motivation is, you know, I'm a runner. So I I talk about this through kind of the lens of running, but motivation, you know, is to runners what, you know, the muse is to artists. It's like this mythical thing that we're convinced needs to strike us before we're able to produce you know, any results. We can't do anything if we're not motivated and lack of motivation becomes, you know, the, the reason or the excuse, you know, and so we pour our energy into, into what I, you know, I think are the wrong things, you know, creating the perfect Pinterest board filled with, you know, images of, you know, lean, strong people, quotes about running and fitness, um, you know, and then we wonder why we're still not quote unquote motivated enough. The to- perfect playlist on our it, iPhone. Exactly. Exactly. <laughs> and you know, all of these are tools, you know, I'm not saying, you know, never listen to music, never listen, look at anything that inspires you. But I think that the, the balance is, is a little bit off. You know, we keep looking for, for motivation to hit us kind of like, it's like, it's a savior. And I really don't think, I don't think that that's true. I don't think that, you know, I think, I think motivation is bullshit. I think that, you know, there's, there's other things, you know, that, that we really need instead. Um, for me personally, you know, I I can share a little bit, um, about my backstory. I, you know, never played sports, never did anything active, never even as a kid, no, you know, peewee, anything, no dance classes, no yoga. Um, you know, and I, like I said, I, I used to drink a lot. I was, you know, really unhealthy. I had terrible insomnia for about six years. I would sleep maybe two hours a night, four hours a night, wound up, um, figuring out through, you know, a, a series of events and finally seeing an acupuncturist that, um, I'm allergic to alcohol wow. and that's what was causing my insomnia. Um, you know, so she said, quit drinking for five weeks and let's see what happened. And I mean, at that point she could have said, cut out your own kidney and you'll be able to sleep. And I would have done it, you know? <laughs> and, um, so I did, and I started sleeping uh, almost immediately, seven or eight hours a night. And I thought, Oh my God, I have so much energy. Is this how normal people feel? I finally have the energy to work out. And I had always wanted to be a runner. Um, you know, and I, I thought, okay, this is a good time to start. I could maybe run two minutes when I first started. Like, I mean, I was a complete beginner. So that whole thing of how do I get more motivated? How do I get myself into this? That really came into play for me. And, you know, through the process of, you know, training for my first half marathon and, you know, kind of onward and upward from there, I realized that, you know, I kind of pulled out what I call the the seven things you need instead of motivation. It's like a seven step process. Um, you know, and the, the first, um, I call it the, the seven A's, you know, and the first is attraction. And that's asking yourself, do you actually want it? I mean, do you want to run? Do you want to work out is, you know, or is it something that you think that you should do? Because I think that that's, there's a big difference between what you actually want and what you think you should want, you know? Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, so figuring out if you actually want it. And then, you know, the next thing is attachment. If you do want it, why do you want it? What does it mean to you? you know, um, forming emotional attachments and emotional connections to your goals, I think is a key way in, in making them happen. Um, and then, you know, after that, the next step for me is, was awareness. And this was the hardest part, kind of taking an honest judgment-free look at my life, um, how I was spending my time, how I was spending my energy, what my eating habits were, you know, you can't change if you don't know where you're starting from. So I think being real, really realistic about, you know, about your life, you know, in it, like I said, in a judgment free way, that's, you know, that's more important than, than motivation. And then once you've kind of done that, 
life inventory, you know, I'll call it, um, you know, the next step for me was, was making adjustments, you know, nothing changes if nothing changes. And, you know, what are you willing to experiment with? It's, you know, you mentioned the gyms being super crowded, you know, is, do you want to go to a gym? Do you live in a place where the weather's nice enough to work out outside? What, you know, what time of day are you going to do this? What type of exercise do you want to experiment with? Like really getting specific about the details and then adjusting, you know, your schedule to figure out actually what's going to change. Because, you know, I think that, you know, I thought, oh, I, I want to start running badly enough. So therefore it's going to happen. Mm-hmm. You know, we think I, I want something so much. So poof, there you go. No poof. That, you know, that, mm-hmm. <laughs> that doesn't happen. There's, you know, there's a reason why, you know, your, your life is set up in a certain way and you can't just overlay this new habit on top of everything you're already doing without physically making room for it. So, you know, figuring out for me where I'm going to run, when I'm going to run, what if I need to buy anything in order to make that happen, you know, and then, mm-hmm. um, the next step for me um, is, you know, or for anyone, I think is, is attitude. You know, the, the most important thing is how you treat yourself. If exercise is an avenue for self-criticism, you know, you'll, you'll quickly come to associate it with feeling shitty and then you'll quit. Yeah. And, you know, so yeah. the, the, the attitude that you take into it, um, you know, is, is I think really important. And, um, you know, then, then after that, you know, the sixth step is action. And I think it's funny because this is where most people usually start. They say, okay, I want to get in shape or I want to this or, you know, whatever it is. And so I'm, I'm just going to start doing it right away without kind of doing all of that, uh, you know, emotional foundational prep work that might seem silly, but, you know, really kind of makes, makes the, the big difference or, you know, at least it did for me. And, you know, but, but then you get to the point where you have to take action. That doesn't mean you need a perfect plan. That doesn't mean, I mean, nothing's perfect. It's just, just start, just do something. For me, it was like, put on shoes, like try to run down the block, you know, like you got to start somewhere. And, you know, it's once you change your story, then it's changing your habits, you know, and actions. And then the last, the last one, um, is accountability. Um, you know, for me, external accountability was really important at the beginning because I didn't have internal accountability yet. I really, I I wasn't really accountable to myself. And so it was really helpful for me to, to share my goals. I was blogging about it. Um, but you know, it's, it doesn't have to be that public. Even if you share your goals with at least one other person, it's, you know, the act of being like, this is, this is what I want to do. This is why I want to do it. And kind of going through all of those other six steps, what I want to do, why I want to do it. Here's what my life looks like. Here's what needs to change about my life in order to like fit this in. Here's the attitude I'm taking with it. Here's my first action step that I'm taking in the next 24 hours. And here's a way that you could support me, for example, you know, and um, whether it's a friend or you do it with someone or it's an online group or, you know, a, a training group or something. And then, you know, internal accountability, I think builds over time, but those seven steps, I think that's that's what we need instead of motivation. That sums it up. I am in awe. <laughs> wow, that is such great information. I think it's so everything you said is so important. I love the way it's so organized and beautiful with the, all those A's because what I have seen it's a couple of things that I wanted to, to point out. And I wrote a chapter in my book about this. And the, the title of it is Exercise Does Not Have to Be Corporal Punishment. And I think that so many of us have, have grown up in with, you know, PE coaches making us do laps as punishment and or punishing ourselves with exercise. And it, I think that it, it that's a story that needs to change in and of itself. If, if you're listening to this and, and that has been your story, then t- go back and listen to what Nicole just said. <laughs> I want you to listen to that whole thing again. Cause yeah, I, I totally believe that. And, and really truly, yes, it is 
backwards that people just start taking action. And then when they, and then they can't figure out why they didn't follow through and then they just think they're bad at it. And then they throw in the towel because they think they're a failure and feel like shit about themselves forever and ever. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. I mean, and I think that perfectionism is, you know, a big piece too. And, you know, it's, it's really easy to look at people who have made big changes. I mean, I'm a really good example. I went, like I said, from drinking all the time, eating all the things, not sleeping, doing no physical activity to basically the exact opposite of that. Mm -hmm. And it's really easy to look at that and say, oh my God, like, she has her shit together and she just hit this poof moment where all of a sudden it wasn't like that anymore. And, you know, it's, and I'm not Mm -hmm. strong enough or able to, you know, any of the things that we tell ourselves and, you know, we we put it in like a now and then timeline, like part one, she did this part two, like now she doesn't. And, you know, I, I I can never do that. And that's, you know, uh, no one knows what happened in your head. No one knows all the preparation and all the in-between time. Exactly. And also, you know, it's, what you do most of the time matters more than, you know, being perfect. And, you know, for me, kind of what the process was for this, I remember very clearly, it was in New Year's resolution time is January 1st, 2011. I set a goal of doing 20 minutes of exercise three times a week. Mm -hmm. So and that and that was it. I wanted to move my body 20 minutes a day, three days a week. That's an hour a week. Right. I thought this is so doable. I got this. Let me tell you, January went by and February went by and March went by and I was trying, I was doing my best to integrate it into my life, but I just couldn't manage to stay consistent with it. I'd work out once or twice a week, sometimes three times a week, but never three times a week for more than one week at a time. And I remember April, 2011 was the first month that I actually did 20 minutes of exercise three times a week for four weeks. And it was like, this was like the, the, the most exciting thing I have ever happened to me. <laughs> yeah. but, but I'll tell you, it took me three months of quote unquote failing at my goal in order to turn what I wanted into a habit, you know, but, but that's the thing, you know, I think that we don't give ourselves that transition time. You mm-hmm. can't go from, if, if these, if you've been doing X thing for 20 years, 30 years, you know, whatever it is, just because you decide something is going to be different. It's not like, okay, Ooh, light switch. Now all the things are different. It doesn't yeah. work that way. We have to allow ourselves that transition time, you know, and if, if I would have after that first week said, Oh, I didn't meet the skull. I'm out. Yeah. Then I mean, I, I mean, right now I'm, I'm training to run across the country from LA to New York in 2015. And I mean, this never would have happened. This like huge evolution. Yeah. You know, if I wouldn't have given myself, it took me 120 days to get to the point where I was consistently working out and not to say that that's going to be everyone else's timeline, but that was 120 days of exercising, not exercising, Mm -hmm. thinking about it, feeling like shit about it, wanting to, I mean, you name it, all the things, you know, but it's, it it takes time. I think we glorify these huge life overhauls, you know, biggest loser, clean sweep, you know, I was just thinking the same thing. That's not reality. Bills and other things to pay for don't just come bi-weekly, and neither should your paycheck. The money you earn can be in your hands today with Earnin. Earnin is an app that gives you access to your pay as you work, up to $100 per day or up to $750 per pay period. Just download the Earnin app and verify your paycheck. Then access up to $100 a day as you work and leave an optional tip. Any money you access plus tips are automatically repaid from your next paycheck. You can use Earnin for unexpected doctor visits, vet bills, or even extra self-help books. Make Earnin a part of your financial routine and join Earnin's over three and a half million customers who say things like, when I think about Earnin, I think about financial stability, security. It gives me a lot of peace of mind. Download Earnin today, spelled E-A-R-N-I-N in the Google Play or Apple App Store. 
When you download the Earnin app, type in noise under podcast when you sign up. It's really helpful to the show. Noise under podcast. Subject to your available earnings, location, daily max, and pay period max. See earnin.com slash TOS for details. Earnin is a financial technology company, not a bank. Bank products are issued by Evolve Bank and Trust, member FDIC. I first gave AG1 a try because I was feeling low energy and sluggish and coffee just wasn't giving me what I needed. Especially in these winter months, I struggle with pep in my step. And since drinking AG1, I felt more energized and focused. Not only does AG1 deliver my daily dose of vitamins, minerals, pre and probiotics, and more, but it's a powerful healthy habit that's also powerfully simple. It's just one scoop mixed in water once a day, every day. Because aging is a part of life that we all have to deal with, but I don't think it should prevent me from doing the things I love, like going on long hikes with my dog. I want to do the things that matter to me for as long as possible, which is why I drink AG1 every morning to support my brain, gut, and immune health. All it takes is one scoop a day, and I'm laying the groundwork for long-term health. I know with AG1, I'm giving my body high-quality nutrition. Every batch of AG1 goes through a rigorous testing process so you know it's safe. And AG1 ingredients are sourced for absorption, potency, and nutrient density. AG1 is a supplement I trust to provide the support my body needs daily, and that's why I'm excited to have them as a longtime partner. If you want to take ownership of your health, it starts with AG1. Try AG1 and get a free one-year supply of vitamin D3K2 and five free AG1 travel packs with your first purchase exclusively at drinkag1.com noise. That's drinkag1.com noise. Check it out. Another thing I can't be with, we were talking about that before we started recording, I cannot be with The Biggest Loser. And yep. I, it just, it hurts, it hurts my heart when I see people that are like, it's so motivating, but why can't I do it? And I'm like, because that's the TV. Yeah, totally. <laughs> right, go be on the show and you can do it. Mm-hmm. <laughs> that's really, that's really all it is. And oh, anyway, I, we won't go there. But, but no, it's, it, it, but I think that that's, it's part of the problem. You know, like these messages that, that we're receiving that, you know, quick fix or, you know, means to an end, or like you said, you know, do, do this to get this perfect body or that, like, I feel like it's not addressing like the real things. Like if not to say that, like getting in shape or weight loss, like none of these are bad goals. Your goals are your goals. Obviously mm-hmm. it's, but I think that goals are only worthwhile if the pursuit of that goal is something that makes you feel the way you want to feel 90% of the time. I mean, yeah. sometimes, sometimes, it's hard. Stuff's hard. It's awful. You, even the things you love, you hate them. Sometimes that's real life. But you know, it's, if the pursuit of a goal is like you said, if it's punishment, if it's, if you hate it and you're only doing it to fit into this dress or to do the, I mean, that what, what's the point? Mm-hmm. You're just making yourself miserable. You know, it's, you have to find a way to change your story and, you know, figure, make an emotional connection to it and pick things that the pursuit of those things makes you happy, whether you actually check off the end result thing or not. Yeah. Oh my gosh. Yeah. I love that. So you, um, so something that I'm really, really curious about this, that you like to talk about is the, is the value of set of setting hugely unrealistic goals. Because before, before you talk about that, let me, let me just give you a personal example of, because <laughs> that does not seem to work for me. And that's why, you know, when you and I were talking before the, before the, um, we started recording about how in 2015, I want to do a half Ironman. And that's, and to me right now, in the end of 2013 with, you know, coming out of shoulder surgery and, um, I just, 
I, that seemed like a hugely unrealistic goal. So like part, part of me is like, maybe that's not such a good idea. (laughs) And I am going to try to just do an Olympic length next year. But so what do you have to say about that, of the value of setting hugely unrealistic goals? Yeah. Um, you know, it's, unrealistic goals it's not you know push yourself to do something that you're that's like not safe to do you know but for me it's mostly like I think that hugely unrealistic goals what I mean by that is I think those are the things that really light us up um you know if if we pick goals and a goal meaning like you know an end result something like that that feels oh that's that's totally doable it's not that exciting and we're making Mm -hmm. those decisions and setting those goals based on our past experiences so we're actually limiting ourselves because we have no idea what you know 10 action steps down the road what's going to be possible um you know i would i mean i i look back at some of the goals that i've set and stuff and if you would have told me how much bigger things could get you know but once you set a goal you put your blinders on and if the goal's too small, I think that you don't see sometimes like bigger potential. So I'm a really big fan of hugely unrealistic goals, but very realistic, tiny action steps. Gotcha. Because okay. I think mm-hmm. I think that you have to be aware of what is realistic in your in your day to day life and setting realistic action steps on like a daily or weekly basis is absolutely a learned behavior. It took me so long of working for myself to be able to like set a to-do list for a day that wasn't actually for a week and a half, you know? And and then, and then even no matter how much you get done, you still feel bad about yourself because you didn't, you didn't do all the things that you said, but those things are crazy town, you know? So I think that having an, an, I mean, I'll use this. I know I just mentioned this briefly, you know, so my plan, March 1st, 2015, um, my friend Liz and I, we're going to take five months and we're going to run from LA to New York. And that to me is a hugely unrealistic goal. I mean, that is crazy town. Mm -hmm. I've run two full marathons, like I'm running consistently and I have a coach. So I believe, and you know, he believes that, that we can, can get there. And I've talked to other people that have done it. So I know that it's not like, you know, I'm not trying to sprout wings and fly to the moon. You know, it's not that kind of unrealistic, but Mm -hmm. It's, it's, it's something that I can't wrap my head around. I can't understand any of the details. And when it comes time, I'm going to have to set really tiny action steps towards it. But the magnitude of that goal, like really excites me, you know? And uh, so I think that having those unrealistic goals also, because I think the things that we really want, our brains, they want to keep us safe. You know, we have this that's, I mean, that's what fear is. And and I think that our fear response, this like biological fear response hasn't evolved as quickly as our circumstances, you know, so doing something new and that's scary business-wise has the same like internal feeling as, oh my God, saber tooth tiger run, you know, whereas mm-hmm. like, it's not, it's not as dangerous. Right. And so I think that when, when you think, oh, I, I want this, like, and even for you, if it was like a, a full Ironman, for example, like if, if it's something that floated through your head and like got you excited, that is an example to me of like an, a, a, an unrealistic goal that's worth just like throwing on a vision board or throwing up there and then starting to take steps towards it while being open to the fact that the outcome might change. Because, you know, I think long-term plans are useless. And I think that you you don't know the third step until you've done the second step. Right. So it's it's really just for me, okay, what's, what's one single completable thing that I can do, you know, by the end of the day in the next 24 hours to move this forward. And then once that thing's done, then it's the next thing. And then you see, maybe it leads you to that goal. Maybe it leads you in a totally different direction, you know, and so that's it's just that's one, my it's on one day at a time yeah and it's so funny because I you know I take a lot away from 12-step programs and that's that's one of the things that we do is one day at a time because we can't 
we can't look at the rest of our life doing this behavior that's kind of foreign to us. Like, and for, you know, and it's the same thing with, um, with my book and people, so many people are like, they look at my life, you know, I've got these two little kids, I've got a full-time practice and I only work part-time. So they're like, how the fuck did you do it? And really it was one word at a time. Like I could not, like if I thought about the whole thing or if someone would have even told, it would have been worse if someone would have told me what exactly it was going to look like. Cause I would have been like, no, it's too much. It's too scary. So I just, I was like, I don't know. I don't know how to write a book proposal. I don't know how to shop for an agent. I don't even know what I'm doing, but all I know is that this is a, a, a very unrealistic goal. It's a dream. It lights me up. Like you were saying, and I am just going to do it one step at a time, one word at a time. And that's what I did. And that's what I tell people all the time. Like if you, it's, it's one thing too, I think where people get tripped up is they, you know, it's, and I, I encourage people like fantasize about your dream, like picture yourself doing it and you know, all those things, but watch out for that invisible line that you'll, you're going to cross where you go into shit. <laughs> Yeah. It's too big. Yeah. It's like, do you think the people that climb Mount Everest, like look up at the whole mountain and dwell and totally get in their gremlin voice of look at how big this mountain is. How the hell are we ever going to do it? No, they don't. They know it's just everyone that's climbed that mountain has done it one step at a time and you'll eventually get there. And I, it sounds really rudimentary, but I think still smart, able-bodied people, we get caught up in that. And then we never even take that first step or we quit after the first few. Oh, absolutely. Well, I mean, I, we really, really like to make things complicated for ourselves. Don't and, <laughs> you know, it's that, like exactly what you just said. I mean, it's simple. It's not, but simple doesn't have to mean easy, you know, but the simple answer is usually the answer. You know, when I think about, when I talk about unrealistic goals, you know, I, I, I also talk about them in terms of like, you know, sexy goals. They're the things that feel really sexy, but I mean, you reach big sexy goals, one like very unsexy step at a time. Yeah. And it's, that's, that's the disadvantage again to, poor, poor biggest loser really harping on it. But just stuff like that is that it's, I mean, it's, it's, you only see what you see, you know, and it's, you know, like, for example, you know, when I when I first started running, like I said, I could probably run about two minutes. Mm -hmm. And I mean, it was awful. Everything was awful. I wanted to die the whole time. And I, (laughs) my sexy, unrealistic, never gonna happen in a million years goal, I was like, I'm gonna run a half marathon. And that to me, I mean, I I can't even begin to tell you how crazy that seemed to me in my head. Mm -hmm. And part of me was like, this is never actually going to happen, but it gives me something to like set my plans around because I know myself well enough to know that I'm not just going to get up and go running. I'll tell you, even now I'm not, I I like training more than I like racing, Mm -hmm. but I need races to anchor my training around. So a lot of it's like, call a spade a spade, like be honest with what you're not going to do. Like, I'm not just going to get up and go running to go running. So I needed something to train for. And I I started looking around for a training program. And I will tell you, there's no such thing as a, a beginner's half marathon training program. That's actually for beginners. Everything that I found was like starting at like four or five miles, mm-hmm. you know, or even mm-hmm. like, and I'm like, Two, two minutes. What is what's happening here? You know, so I, I really went through a process of kind of custom building myself a six month 20, you know, so 24 week training plan that I, I then turned into a program, you know, I run an online virtual program right now for people that, you know, want to do the same thing. Um, 
and there, there was nothing out there like that. So, you know, I, I built that myself, but again, it's, it's not about the half marathon. It's, it's literally one workout at a time. And, you know, it was first a 5k and then it was a 10k and, you know, finishing the half marathon itself, that's sexy. That's glamorous, mm-hmm. you know, laying on your living room floor, covered in sweat, like stretching your hamstrings every day like that. That's not, it's just not sexy, that's you know, not. but you can't, you can't have one without the other. And, mm-hmm. you know, personally, one of my biggest weaknesses, and I think this is pretty common is that I tend to spend too much time in the thinking and planning stages of a new project. Isn't that the fun? You know. I, I love that too. That is mine yeah. too. I am I am like a slave to my calendar, and I'm like, this day I'm going to do this many miles and this hills, and then yeah, and it's all. <laughs> and you know, I think there's definitely you know there's value in in planning somewhat, but you know, at the beginning, I read. I read everything, everything I could get my hands on, you know, about running. And I thought like, this is going to give me a leg up. And I'll tell you what, it, it did, it did nothing. I'm still on the treadmill, like hanging off the side, like wondering <laughs> like when someone's going to bring me the oxygen, you know, like yeah. it's not, it's it, it, all the planning in the world. Like it's nice up until a point, you know, and that's, the, that's where the unsexy steps come in. It took me 24 weeks to train for that first half marathon. It's 168 days. That's yeah. a long ass time. time, you know, it's mm-hmm. cramps, it's blisters, it's, you know, why is this run bad? Why are five runs in a row bad? Why do I feel like this is never going to get better? What, you know, and it's, mm-hmm. it's just, it, it, it's one step at a time. And, and you want, I, I will tell you run, training for and running my first half marathon changed my life. Not, I mean, I'll tell I did lose weight. I got in better shape. I started sleeping better, you know, all the things, you know, mental clarity, but it changed my life because it taught me how to break a big goal down into small steps. And it taught me that you can't procrastinate on everything. Like this isn't the kind of thing where you can like cram and write a paper the night before it's due. Like I can't not run all week and then run all my miles in one day. Mm -hmm, It just, mm -hmm. it doesn't happen. So it was like, I physically had to force myself to learn how to break things up. And I can't even tell you how much that's helped. I've now used that same process when I'm creating courses, you know, for my business or do it's like big thing. Okay. One step at a time. All Mm -hmm. you can do is one completable thing at a time. This is done. Check it off. Next thing, you know? Yeah. Yeah. And I love that. And, and you started to touch on, on kind of like when you were talking about the unsexy stuff and and how emotional it can be. And, and so that's, that's the next thing I wanted to ask you about is, is what's the emotional side of making big life changes like the ones you've been talking about? Yeah. I mean, the emotional stuff's everything. It's, you know, most people aren't sitting around not knowing what the tangible steps are to do, you know, like if, and we're obviously talking about like fitness and, and stuff like this a lot, but no one's thinking like, you know, the, the way to do this is to eat a lot of cupcakes and stay in bed all day. Like it's, <laughs> you know, like we, we know what to do. That's, that's usually mm-hmm. not. And, and if you don't, don't know, don't know what to do, you know, uh, whatever you can right. figure it out. Right? <laughs> Very quickly. Uh-huh. Or you can, you can hire someone, you can, you know, you can join a training program and that's, the biggest difference for me when I was creating my training program was focusing on the emotional side because it's, it's those prep work. It's that prep work. It's the, it's the five steps that you do before you take action. You know, it's, it's being aware of what your current story is, you know, in relation to whatever your goal is. Like, what was I telling myself, you know, your, you know, I was telling myself that you start things and you don't stick with them. You know, I had a track record of gym memberships and, you know, body boot camp DVDs, whatever, you know, you mm-hmm. name it. Like I started it and finished it. So my story was that I'm really good at, at planning and starting stuff and getting excited, but I'm never going to follow through. So I'm never going to be able to have what I want. Customers are rushing to your store. Do you have a point of sale system you can trust or is it <clears throat> a real POS? You need Shopify for retail. 
Shopify POS is your command center for your retail store. From accepting payments to managing inventory, Shopify has everything you need to sell in person. With Shopify, you get a powerhouse selling partner that effortlessly unites your in-person and online sales into one source of truth. Track every sale across your business in one place and know exactly what's in stock. Connect with customers inline and online. Shopify helps you drive store traffic with plug-and-play tools built for marketing campaigns from TikTok to Instagram and beyond. With Shopify POS, you can accept credit cards, mobile payments, and every other major payment method, all with low fees and transparent pricing, starting on day one. Plus, Shopify's award-winning help is there to support your success every step of the way. Do retail right with Shopify. Sign up for a $1 a month trial period at shopify.com slash noise, all lowercase. Go to shopify.com slash noise to take your retail business to the next level today. That's shopify.com slash noise. What if in 2024, you got a little bit better every day? I mean, that's what this show is all about, right? When you're learning a new language with Babbel, that's exactly what you're doing. And if Babbel can help you start speaking a new language in just three weeks, imagine what you can do in a full year. Be a better you in 2024 with Babbel, the science-backed language learning app that actually works. Babbel has over 16 million subscribers sold. Plus, all of Babbel's 14 award-winning language courses are backed by their 20-day money-back guarantee. Babbel's designed by real people for real conversations. Their courses are so convenient and have helped me learn real-life conversation skills in Spanish. It's so easy to learn how to order food. That's where I get the most excited to use it at Mexican restaurants or ask for directions, speak to merchants without having to consult language apps while on vacation, etc. Here's a special limited time deal for our listeners. Right now, get 50% off a one-time payment for a lifetime Babbel subscription, but only for our listeners at babbel.com slash noise. Get 50% off at babbel.com slash noise, spelled B-A-B-B-E-L dot com slash noise. Rules and restrictions may apply. You know, other parts of my story were that I would quit when things get difficult or that self-care is always the first thing to go because everything else is more important. You know, so it's looking at what these stories are that you tell yourself often unconsciously, like about yourself and recognizing that and, you know, deciding to, to, to change that story. And that's a very emotional process. Um, you know, I think that another big change that, that I made um, in this, you know, kind of came later um, was quitting sugar. And that's, that was, that was huge. And I'll tell you, that was the single most emotional thing that I've ever done in my entire life was kind of disentangling myself from, from this, uh, you know, sugar addiction. And there was a period of time where I had to let myself like grieve the loss of that in my life, which might sound silly because it's sugar, but you know, these things that are our comfort tools or our coping mechanisms, you know, there's letting that go and building new habits. That's, in trying to pretend that there isn't a very emotional side of that, mm-hmm. I think is setting ourselves up for disappointment. Yeah. Yeah. I totally am with you on that. I actually just wrote a blog post for a recovery blog because, um, you know, being, being an addict myself and, and probably a sugar addict at this point, but, um, I quit drinking two years ago and I, you know, and I, and I help a lot of people that are brand new to sobriety and, and trying to get sober and, and it really is 
that there is such an emotional attachment. And I myself wasn't physically addicted to alcohol, thank goodness. Um, didn't get the shakes and all that stuff. But it really was this emotional thing and, and of having to let go. And, and really, uh, I, I think that people... I think it's something that needs to be talked about more too. And, um, yeah, so I can, I can relate on, on that sense, but, but yeah, I can see how it could be the same thing for sugar. I mean, it's just like, it becomes such a big part of our lives. Well, and you know, addiction is addiction and it sounds like you and I are on a similar time frame. I quit drinking two and a half years ago, you know, and it was the same thing. It wasn't, um, you know, it wasn't, it, it wasn't a physical addiction, you know, it was, it was all kind of a, a social, emotional coping mechanism type mm-hmm. thing. And, you know, for me, it was easier to quit because once I realized that that was the direct link to my insomnia, you know, and I started testing it and every time I would drink anything, you know, I wouldn't sleep and I would feel horrible for days. It was, it was very easy to quit at the beginning, but it mm-hmm. wasn't until about six months into it where I started to have to kind of process through all of this emotional stuff. Like I was this person before where like drinking was my social life. Like, and I'm not talking about like, luckily it was never, really dangerous, you know, but mm-hmm. it was more just like, that was, that was my identity, you know, mm-hmm. like happy hours and hosting things and cocktail parties and, you know, all this stuff. And I didn't really know how to have fun or how to be sociable or extroverted or any of these things about alcohol, but I didn't realize that that was all true until all of a sudden it was gone. And I was like, Whoa, what, yeah. what do I, Scary. Oh, I actually have to feel my feelings, yes. you know? And <laughs> uh-huh. it's, it's a similar thing with, with anything else that you're talking about, like making these things, like we think, Oh, it's, it's so easy. Just work out more. Like, and we try to bully ourselves into this stuff, but there's some like deep emotional stuff there. Like that it's, you have to examine why you're not doing or haven't been doing those things. Like where's your resistance? What does it mean to you to this, that, or the other, you know? And it's, it's, it's very emotional. And I think that letting it be emotional takes a lot of the pressure off. Like, Oh, it's okay that I feel sad or that some days I don't want to work out or that some days I miss my old life or any of those things, mm-hmm. you know? Yeah. Yeah, for sure. So, oh, this is all such, such really, really, really good stuff. And if, if you guys are listening and you want um, to check out some of the links, just go to your kick-ass life, your kick-ass life forward slash 19. This is episode 19 to be able to just click through and, and find Nicole's website to find her um, half marathon training plan and all the other amazing plans and, and courses that she has. So I want to, I want to ask you one last question. We'll end with this, it being the new year. And, and even if it wasn't, you know, I'm sure people are all pumped now wanting to, to start something. So tell us like, how does someone just start? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, I think, you know, give yourself a little bit of time to at least do some of the emotional stuff, like at least take yourself through those steps. That to me is just starting, you know? Um, but after, after that, I mean, in terms of actually taking action, you know, at the beginning when you're new to something, um, running was a really good example. There seemed to be a lot of barriers to entry. You know, for me, I was like, oh my God, I don't have all the right gear. I don't know exactly what to do. I don't know what perfect form looks like. Like I don't, I can't be a runner unless this, 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 that, you know, like I gave myself a laundry list of things, you know? And I think that that's, that's pretty common, but guess what? Like you can, like no one needs to give you permission to do what you want to do. Like in basics, it's always good to start with the basics, you know, all the extra stuff, the the right gear the right this this but it, it's great but the thing that matters most running for example is to just run like if you want to be a runner run you're a runner the end you know if if, if you want to write write it, the action verb that you need it's right there in the word <laughs> you know yeah. like that's j- just 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 put an eye in front of it <laughs> and, and and be like get excited about the fact that it's messy and you have no idea what the hell you're doing because it's, it's not about perfection. It's about Mm -hmm. gradual forward progress and things being like done is better than perfect. That's always the mantra that I go to. And 
you know, it's for, forget about, you know, all the fans, you don't need $200 underwear, you know, like you just, the, the more you run, the better runner you'll be, the more you write, the closer you'll be to finishing your book. Like it's just giving yourself permission to not worry about all the nonsense, you know? Mm-hmm. I absolutely love that. I think, yes, I think it's so, it's, that's such important information just to, to not worry about all the bullshit, like the, the fringe stuff that, that you can go and, and, and fitness itself is, it can be, it's a huge, very, you know, lucrative industry for retailers and, and really you don't, I love that. Like if you want to be a runner, just be one, just call yourself one and start running and, and you don't have to, this is so funny. Like I don't, and I, and I have done a lot of self growth work, you know, and I've come a long way with not caring what people, what people think of me and, and it still hurts sometimes, but this is something I still do when I haven't run in a while. And this year has been so fucking tough because I slipped last Jan in January and completely tore up my shoulder and had frozen shoulder. And then I, I trained for rat the Ragnar relay series and did that. And it was hard because I had like no mobility in my shoulder. But anyway, when I'm running outside in my neighborhood and I have to walk and I'll walk for a little bit. And if I see another runner, I'm like, shit, <laughs> Uh-huh. <laughs> and then I'll start running again. Yeah, totally. Well, <laughs> they yeah. don't even see me. <laughs> well, that I mean, that's the thing. You know, the, the, the couple other things, the last things that I'll say. One, first of all, I, I did Ragnar this year, too. It was so fun. So uh, that's, a, that's a good one for, for people. Um, but it's keep your eyes on your own paper. You know, like we it's it, it, it just doesn't matter. You know, like the kindergarten advice, like is still the best advice, you know. And, you know, for me, in terms of starting something new, I think like the, the best habit to adopt is the habit of experimentation. Give yourself permission to just try shit. If you like it, keep doing it. If you don't like it, do something else, you know, and it's going to sound silly and overly obvious, but you have to pick something that you enjoy doing. And you know, it's, if you don't like running, okay. If you don't like yoga, if you don't, there's plenty of ways out there if we're talking specifically about fitness, but this applies to everything else. And you know, the other thing too, is keep in mind that you don't have to love it right away. I didn't start I didn't really fall in love with running until about a month into training for my second half marathon. It's, I, I did it. I liked things from it. And after I finished the first one, I was like, I got to do this again just to prove to myself this isn't a fluke. That's really what happened. And so I signed up for the second one. And at that point, my skills, like I had gotten better. We like things that we're good at. Just inherently, people enjoy things the better they get at them. So don't focus on motivation. Don't focus on Oh my God, but I don't, I don't like this. Focus on getting better. And when you get better, like as your skills improve, you will like it more. Yeah. I love that. Very, very good point. Both of those. And I just sometimes, and, and, and fun is the same way. I think like it's just an, an acquired taste and you might fall in love with it slowly, but if enough time has passed and you still don't love it, do something else. Like mm-hmm. I just, it's still, and I wrote about this in my book too. Like it boggles my mind where people are like, I hate, I hate running, but they're, but they're runners. And I'm like, what, why? Why would you waste your time doing something like that? And like, like I hate my, my weakest event is cycling. Like I can't, I hate it. Like I don't like it at all and I'm not good at it. So that's probably, it's my weakest event in triathlons. And like, it kills me to even like think like, oh, I should probably get a really good road bike now if I'm going to do longer triathlons. But so it's just not so like, if I'm not training for a triathlon, I do not get on a bike. I I just don't. (laughs) I don't like it. Like I'll swim and and I will run till the cows come home, but it's just not. And so I don't force my, I don't force it on me and it just takes a lot of the pressure off, I think. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. So, um, we are out of time now. So one last time, please tell people where they can find you. And if you have any free stuff that you can give away on your site, please point us in that direction. 
Yeah. Um, and so lifelessbullshit.com, that's, you know, where everything lives. And I'll send you a couple of links um, to, you know, some good places for people to start if they're interested in, um, you know, these these kind of topics, specifically motivation, you know, running that type of stuff. Um, but lifelessbullshit.com, that's where everything is. Cool. Thank you so much for being here, Nicole. I love this Thank conversation. You. This You're so actually, fun. This is, I think, out of all my podcasts, I have not this is my first topic on fitness and, and I love it. It's my background. I love talking about it. And I'm, I'm so happy that to have you on here telling all of my wonderful people about it for the new year. Well, thank you so much. Yeah, perfectly timed. I had so much fun. Okay. We will see you all out in cyberspace. Thank you, listeners. Don't forget to go to iTunes and leave a rating and review for me. I would appreciate it so much. And we will see you next time. Bye-bye. Hey there, I'm Debbie Reber, the founder of Tilt Parenting and the author of the book Differently Wired. The mission of Tilt is to change the way neurodivergence, whether that's having a learning disability, having ADHD, being gifted, autistic, or some combination of all of the above, is perceived and experienced so differently wired kids and the parents like us raising them can truly thrive. On the Tilt Parenting Podcast, I get to talk with authors, therapists, educators, and parenting experts who are committed to this mission. I ask the questions my listeners are most curious about when it comes to supporting our kids. And in turn, my guests share strategies for challenges, out-of-the-box ideas for navigating school, best practices for therapies, tips for advocating, and so many thoughtful insights on what it really takes to help our kids grow up feeling seen and respected so they can create awesome lives for themselves. I know that raising a differently wired kid can feel overwhelming and isolating, but I promise you, you are not alone and it can feel so much better. If you're on this parenting journey, come listen to Tilt Parenting. Together, we can shift this paradigm and show up for our exceptional kids with hope, possibility, and joy.